Hey, this is Pastor Joaquin G. Molina from Spring of Life Fellowship, and I want to welcome you to our podcast. I hope you're encouraged with this message and you stay the course to change the world. God bless you. Father, thank you for this day that we find ourselves in the house of the Lord. Thank you that you have uh, separated a day of the week that you call uh, the day of the Lord, a holy day, a day that we gather to seek your face and to celebrate and to worship who you are in our lives. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your faithfulness over our children, over our families. Thank you for those that you have given us as a gift, Lord. Um, So many birthdays in the month of July, Lord. We pray your blessing upon every man, woman, boy, and girl, Lord, who you bring to another year of an expression of your faithfulness and that they might shine for your glory. We pray, Father God, that you bless your word this morning and that it would be a good seed planted in good hearts that produce a harvest of good fruit that glorifies your name. Lord, give us our adjustment in the way we see life and let us be seated with Christ in heavenly places. And from that perspective, let us look down upon the earth and let us consider, oh God, that we might walk in a manner which pleases you, that honors you, and that we might fill the earth with your glory. Father, allow your word to be the bread of life this morning. Allow it to nourish our spirit. Allow it to be a double-edged sword that does not, Father God, um, come as just an accident or a free-for-all, Lord. Let it be precise and methodical, and let it divide between the soul and the spirit, and and. Make a a divine intervention in this day, Lord, that we might consider life from a different vantage point and that we might walk in courage and that we might walk in that which pleases you. We pray that your name would be glorified and manifested and fill the earth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Uh, Yesterday was the uh, America's birthday. Uh, We celebrated July 4th. The day that this country became a nation. And, um, and so it's a, a great occurrence. Um, sometimes we don't know how to celebrate the place where we have taken residence. We don't know how to celebrate the place where we have taken residence. Um, if you uh, come to my house and you were to stay there just three months and... Uh, you just thought that that was just uh, something natural, I would start looking at you a little bit funny if I didn't see gratefulness and appreciation. And that's only three months. I often tell my children, honor your mom because you took residence in her womb for nine months. You live there rent-free. And so I expect you to honor that place where you come from. The other expression is we've been in the United States Um, I I was born here. My parents uh, became refugees. They they were fleeing their country because of oppression. They didn't have the expression of liberty. And my dad says one of the things that really motivated me to move in the direction of America is I didn't want my children to be under the oppression of of a government that deprived you from liberty. And so I don't know what that's like, 
But I know that there are people that do come from repressive and uh, dictatorships and they're forced to do things that you would not even imagine. So we come to this land of the free, the home of the brave, and we act like idiots. We act like we despise the country that offers us the pursuit of happiness. The, the incredible expressions of generosity um, that are in this country are way, way beyond any critical mass that you can express. And all you have to do is go back to another country of your choice and you will quickly see a baton up your behind when you begin to express your sentiment adverse to that nation. So even in that, I, I'm blown away by this country. Um, yesterday, I was watching the uh, Salute to America. Man, I was like, "Woo! What a glorious day to say that there was a birth of a nation, right? that has an expression and a sentiment like the United States. And I'm just, I'm just overwhelmingly blown away. And I take issue. I don't show it often. But I take issue to people who have a slanted view that are not able to celebrate what is worthy to celebrate. Now, that's not without issue. Um, there are a, a million things and that you have an opportunity to correct. And, and so I remember here at our church, uh, we haven't been around 244 years. How many know that? Only America has been around for 244 years. We've only been around for 22 and a half years, going on 23. And one man comes in here and he says, Pastor. I say, Yes. And, and he says, why isn't there anybody standing at the door greeting the people as they come into church? I go, ha ha, revelation, sir, you are the man. How many think he, he, he stayed, stayed diddly squat? He's not concerned about somebody greeting people at the door. He's concerned about venting his effeminate disposition lack of manhood because if you're going to criticize something at least do something to fix it so i have a ton of people the line goes out the door all the way down to the keys of everybody who has an opinion about how things should be and i said you know something hallelujah you're the man you're the man you're the man with the criticism you're the man with the opinion bring an answer Okay, this is not even the message. This is just a prelude. But listen, move yourself in the direction of your testosterone as a man to address the issue. Why? Behold the man. He saw what things were like and he came to do something about it. I'm not getting too many amends, but don't worry. We're, we're walking in that direction. What, what's going on? We're in a nation that is a glorious nation, and the men are pathetically effeminate. So thus, what is a man? 
What is a champion? What did God design? Uh, I often have to apologize to wives. I'm sorry for that thing that's next to you that doesn't happen to be the resolution or the answer to anything that's happening in your life or family or marriage. And so here it is. God, you guys saw the sermon. You're like, where's the pastor going with this? Listen, I'm going with this. Good men win and bad guys lose. And this distinction happens to rub a lot of people wrong. Pastor, don't be so radical. Listen, I only have one life to live. I can't sit there and and be pleasant with the deluge, that means flood, of cowardly men. So the call is that good men might distinguish themselves because this entire Bible, last time I read it, is full of throwing a heap of men on one side, calling them righteous and good character men, and then with every reading of those men, there's the other side of men that God is going to flush down the eternal toilet. They're going to be lost forever because he doesn't have an appetite for them. When I talk about appetite, we have to go, I were that you be hot or that you be cold. But because you're a bump on a log, because you're lukewarm, What's the category of lukewarm men? Because I know that America would not be America if there wasn't men who fought the wars that this nation has fought. Men who have gone and bled out in the field of battle for love of country. For the honor of God, for the weight and the substance of existing. Give me liberty or I'll just talk about craziness the rest of my life. No. Give me liberty or I'll fight for it till I die. Those were the men that marked history. Those are the men that were substantive about existing. Not much talk. But their lives spoke volumes and speak to this day. So yesterday I was watching Salute to America and I started seeing that uh, there was an announcer. And and he kept on talking about this airplane was used in this war. This airplane was used in that war. This airplane was used in that war. This airplane was used. So this country, the only reason it's a country is because men were willing to fight for something. And if you're not willing to fight for something... You live for nothing. Your life has no meaning. And we're living in a terrible time where men, they they contort and conform to anything but the reality of the expression that we find in the Bible. We talked about last week um, the essence of leadership. If you weren't here, please get a copy of last week's message uh, because we distinguished that a leader leads at home first. 
If you're following somebody who doesn't have the respect and the honor of his wife and children, look, run for your lives. Run as far as you can from the man who cannot govern his own spirit. So we, we were dealing with that, and, and I'm a little bit pressed. Um, I, I, when we were doing this, the, the series on sexual purity, I told the, 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 the people that are doing this project, I said, do you believe this book has no issue with men who have pornography? This man has this, this description of what is a man is not a man deficient. That he's not deprived. He's not limited in his expression. He's the fullness of the glory of the Godhead because Christ is living in him. And he's not living for pornography. He's not living for homosexuality. He's not a greedy person. He's not a selfish person. He's not a miserable person. He's not a coward. He's not a traitor. When you commit treason in any country, you deserve to die. If, if you do not fight courageously for the cause of your nation, uh, and you say, you know something, I'm just going to join the enemy because the fight's getting too intense. Listen, you're not going to prosper here. You're not going to be where God wants you to be. So as I was going to sleep last night, my poor wife, I was having a revival last night. Woo! I'm glad to be an American. And she's like, can we go to sleep? No, I'm having revival right now because I'm celebrating the expression. There's people that are led to believe here. And, and you guys know I'm Cuban. You know that, I, that my parents come from Cuba. But, but this country adopted us and let us come in, and we've lived our life here, and every black soul in America is an American and should celebrate America and celebrate the goodness of a land of the free and celebrate the high honor and banner. There were some people yesterday that took umbrage to our birthday in America to criticize this nation to criticize its leaders, to criticize its army, to criticize its house of worship. All they do is bleed uh, this, this effeminate, spineless, cowardly existence because they're terrified to fight for any cause. And so as I read the Bible, we see the distinction and the contrast. I want to go straight to it. Pastor, what's the message today? 1 John chapter 3, verse 10. There are some things called children of God. And you can see who they are. They're the, they're the issue of the loins of God. The, and this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Let's cut to the chase. I love black and white. If you know me, there's no gray in my life. I can't stand the people who live in the existence of 50 shades of ungodly existence. They, they, they're double-minded in their thoughts. They have no purpose. They can't even decide if they're going to be with that wife forever. They don't decide if they're going to be in that church forever. They don't decide they're going to leave a legacy and a, an inheritance to their children. Your children are going to raise up knowing they have a cowardly father who did not lay down his life for nobody but himself. And it's critical today that we understand that the good guys win. I want to get to that fast. At the end of the day, when everything is said and done, the bad guys lose. And the good men win. 
And so in this, the children of God, there's an expression. And you, you can't straddle the fence on this one, buddy. You got to decide whether you have some fortitude in character and existence. Will we put on a balance? And it cannot be wanting. It cannot be lacking. It cannot be like we said last week. What did we say last week? Excuse me, boxer, stand on the scales before you fight. And the guy stands on the scales, has no weight. That doesn't decide nothing. The scales don't move because the guy's a freaking chameleon. He hasn't taken. I love the American flag. I love where the American flag. Bring it over here, please. Bring over there in the corner. Yeah, that's it. Somebody's scared to carry it. Listen, this flag stands for something. This, this flag has substance to it. Now, I don't know what flag you're, you're raising. You know what? If you're the kind of man I'm talking about this morning, you don't even have a flag. You, your flag represents nothing. You actually burn and spit and step on this flag. You know why? Because you're a spineless coward. This, this flag has representation of a nation of men who've walked in the fear of God. They have sought the creator. They have, they have I'm a lawyer, you guys know that. Thank you, sir. You, you guys, the whole constitution is full of Bible. What dictates and governs this country that we enjoy peace is Scripture. In God we trust. So it's all that, but I want to I move fast here. The children of God have a manifestation. Listen, if people have to sit there and watch you and figure out where you're coming from, you are a stale deadbeat. Ask the Spirit of God to come alive on you. Because it's not a cowardly spirit. It doesn't, it doesn't come with a spirit of fear and intimidation. These men, after the Spirit of God came in them, they were willing to die for their God. They were willing to fight the battles of the Lord. But the children of the devil are manifest also. Whoever does not practice the expression of righteousness, whoever does not manifest, I love what my son says, yeah, the things are going upside down. But as long as it's in, I'm in this world, I'm the light of this world. I'm going to do what's right, and there will be a contrast in the existence that I exude from my relationships and my words, my conversations, my fellowship, and my company. How people, hey, Pastor, why don't you hang out with more people? I have a deep issue with hanging out with cowards. You guys know that. I don't have a disposition for men of bland character. I want to rub wrong, and I want them to rub wrong against me also. Don't want to have any fellowship with the expression of those who are going headfirst to the lake of fire because of their ambivalence, their, their twisted double ways. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not from God. Uh, you guys don't know the amount of people that have tried to tip the, the weight of the balance so that I call those things which are twisted okay. I don't want even, 
exchange dialogue with someone who's bent on being the son of the devil. If you, if you have a persuasion that's not the persuasion of God, you and I have a total different eternal destiny. You're going to be at the wrong address and you will probably wake up at that point and realize that no one ever stood before you to confront you to make a U-turn. And so there it is. Um, those who do not practice righteousness are not from God, nor is he who does not lay down his life for his brother, the one who's being selfish. I've met all manner of people whose interests have nothing to do with God. They have nothing to do with their family, have nothing to do with people who've poured into their life things they could never repay. And yet they're selfish off the block. They have no weight of, of gratitude, of honor, of disposition. I was reading something about, I was just uh, all night long. You guys imagine I've had this fire burning since last night we went to bed. And, and Lord, fill me with the wisdom that a free man is not a man who's doing whatever he pleases, but a free man is he who chooses to obey. You're not free because you get to do whatever you want. You poor excuse for existence. You're free when you decide to deny yourself and obey. And so that is, that's a contrast all throughout the Bible. In fact, when we get to heaven, God will put the sheep on the right and the goats to the left. And I guarantee you that the sons of the devil are going to be on the left. And no one's telling them. And, and I, I have another word that will come after this one. That wicked men don't know they're wicked until it's too late. Who's going to tell you you're wicked? If you don't get next to a righteous man and see your life deviate from his example. That your life is not consistent with righteousness because you don't follow righteous footsteps. I had a contention with a woman who told me, oh, my dad is godly. Your dad's not godly. Your dad has done whatever he wanted all his life. And there's no footprints to follow. There's no persons to which he could identify to say to his kids, look, I've been in this fellowship. I've, I've been amongst these champions, and now you are of the age to step up as a champion amongst the champions that I have fought with. Well, Pastor, I haven't fought with anybody because you're a coward. Every time we go to battle, you have an excuse to do your own thing. Another word that came last night was cowards find excuses while righteous men find reasons. I, I want this to go down in eternity as the day that we spoke on behalf of the delineation between those that are going to burn in the pit of hell and those that will separate themselves, distinguish themselves as being children of God. And so here I have a list of these men. The contrast between good men and the bad guys. From day one, we see in the garden there was Cain and Abel. 
The very beginning, God is making a distinguishing expression of the one who brings God his best and the one who gives God his leftovers. Don't think that you're going to go to heaven and just offer anything because it's going to be compared to those people you walked with. Cain offered leftovers. And his worship didn't go well because God did not accept it. You think that God accepts anything? No. God has requested our best. What is your best? Don't turn to the person next to you and say, well, he's not doing it, so I'm a little bit above him. No, my friend, your best is compared to the goodness of God in your life, not compared to anyone else. So I don't compare myself with others. I just want to make sure that I'm around people that are requiring of me to give my best. Who are these champions that love God more than life? It is they who leave on the rapture. Some of you guys are going to be squirming a little bit. And the next generation is Noah. God distinguishes Noah apart from his generation. He acquired the grace of God in his life. He found grace before the Lord because of his disposition. As for me and my house, we'll be on the ark. We're leaving no one behind. But his generation, we're laughing, we're playing, we're in sin, we're marrying and giving into marriage. And when the flood came, they were all washed away. Some people challenge me all the time. God could not flush so many men that are decrepit and effeminate to hell. I want to suggest he shall. And the list is there in Revelations 22, 11. 22, 8, I believe. Let me find it. This disposition of men who stand at the feet of hell are, are going through some incredible craziness. 21, 8. Revelations 21, 8 says, The cowardly, lo and behold, he's leading something. Who is he leading? He's leading the unbeliever, the abominable, the murderer, the sexual immoral, the sorcerer, the idolater, and all liars thrown in the lake which burns with fire. The second death. The cowards are first in line. Pastor, who are these people? The spineless. The people that you can never count on. They're not part of anything. They can't be. They serve themselves. So here, God is, the disposition of the Bible is first he, he shows Abel, and then he shows Noah, and then he shows Abraham, and he's always contrasting. He's contrasting the good guys from the bad guys. And we, we're not that good. We're not that good at being able to contrast. Some people, I was telling my niece this morning, Ted Bundy was a, a depraved, he was a murderer, he was a rapist, he was the son of Satan himself. And his mom says, he's a good boy. He's a good boy. They were, they were, they were burning him on the electric chair in Florida. And the mother's opinion of him was, he's a good boy. I raised him. Here's a little boy in my house and I, I fed him. I changed his diapers. And so we're living in a generation that no one wants to distinguish on the scales, on the balance, what is righteous? What are the children of God? What's their disposition? And then we, we want to make sure everybody is brought in 
And we don't, we don't talk about cowardly and the unbelieving and the ones that stand. I, can't, I don't understand if God has opinion about something, how you would have a different opinion. That's a reckless lifestyle. You better adjust all your opinions to God's opinion. You better get on God's side of judging history or you'll be on the wrong side of history. And there's an onslaught of men leading families. I've heard their conversations. It makes me nauseous that they prefer things have nothing to do with the call of God. They have nothing. There's no weight on their opinion, on their conversation. Uh, we were a couple of days ago met with a friend at a house, and they spent the whole time speaking on baseball. Hey, you remember 1967, and you remember this picture, and he struck out 50, and he did, and they were talking, they were talking, and, and so we met for like two hours, and when I got up, I said, listen, next time I come over here, I don't want to talk about baseball. You guys are men of God. I wish that you would boast on the Lord like you guys do about baseball. I wish you knew the Bible like you knew the stupid stats of the MLB. I wish that you guys would have substance in your conversation. You know why? Because when they get around younger kids, they don't have any spiritual influence. They have no weight in their conversation. They don't get excited about the things they should be excited. They don't mark their children. You better mark your children subtly. That was my concern for my three boys and my girl. Before they become men and women, I want to make sure they have the imprint of Christ. That they have the mark of the Lord. That they would be seen among a million people as those that honor the God of heaven. Not that they make money or they're intelligent or academic. That they would move the nation in regards to God. And I want to say something. When God saves the nation, it's because of the righteous. He tells Abraham, go in there, and if you find somebody righteous, I'll save the city. They couldn't find anybody. They couldn't find a man who stood strong for God. There's the story of Abraham and Lot, the story of Isaac and Ishmael, the story of Esau and Jacob, the story of Joseph and his brothers, the story of Moses and Korah, the, Moses, uh, the story of Joshua and Caleb. Against their 10 other spies. I, look, this verse I found is really powerful. Let me see if I find it. This, this verse says that all those who decided not to follow Joseph and Caleb, they died in the plague. Lord, give me that verse. Numbers chapter 14, verse 37. There's a huge rebellion out in the desert. Who do you go with? If you're a huge people out in the middle of chaos and you have two guys, Joshua and Caleb, thank God for Joshua's and Caleb's Amen. who are filled with an excellent spirit, who turn the tide while 10 people of the spies are saying, let's not go in. They're huge. <laughs> They're a bunch of wimps. You have these two champions. Those very one. Uh, let's go. Yeah. Those very men who brought the evil report, the, the, the cowardly, the unbelieving, the, the disobedient, they didn't muster enough strength to say God has promised us the land. They died 
during the plague. How appropriate. Lord, take them. Take them all away that they all die from COVID. That disturb the work of God upon the earth. What, what are you around here for? Oh, I'm going to catch COVID. You're, you have no substance about your influence in God. So why do you want to live? The Bible says it's better that you would have been a stillborn, not come out of the womb alive, than you come out and you're a sorry excuse for righteousness. We, we don't hear messages like this. Glory, hallelujah. God will save a nation when men are willing to stand for God. Men who speak for God. It's not the valiant in, in regards to muscle power. Go to the gym all you want, you wimp. Flex all the muscles you want, you sorry excuse for manhood. Because God has called men to change the world. In Cuba, a motley crew took over the whole nation. And there was no moral character to stand against it. The same thing in every regime. And the Nazi, Hitler was a psychopath. Why did people follow him? Because there was no one else to follow. There was no one speaking on behalf of God. The same thing in Venezuela, the same thing in Nicaragua, the same thing in Jamaica, Haiti, uh, Dominican Republic, Pirates of the Caribbean. Where are the men? Where are the valiant men? God, let them arise and your enemies be scattered. Verse 38, Numbers 14, 38. Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, remained alive of the men who went to spy out the land. You guys understand why it's been such a battle for 23 years to change the world? When, you're, when your wife's voice is louder than yours as a man, and she's dictating left and right, and you don't have anything to say, I have a commitment with God, woman. I have a call. You're supposed to help me with that call that I have with God. You don't have a roadmap for God, so she's giving you your own roadmap to waste time and to strip you and diminish you of your manhood. There's a wicked woman who does not allow a man to stand in the rightful place of God so that he might be an influence to the nation. And here all these men rebelled in Numbers 14, verse 1, the whole congregation raised their voices and cried out. The voice of the multitude became louder than the voice of God. And in our country, people are speaking that should, should, should. I'll buy their ticket out of the country. Uh, let's let them know what their destination is and I'll buy their ticket. Because their voice totally contradicts the voice of God of making sure that the land is a place that flows with milk and honey. And the Bible says the multitude spoke loud. And they, they spoke these words in verse 2. All the Israelites murmured against Moses. So what's happening in America is not that there's people that are rising up. The problem is there's no men of God with a strong voice 
The whole congregation said, if only we would rather die in the land of Egypt. This is, this is the declaration of woes, of everything gone wrong. How horrible this is. How horrible this is. How horrible this is. Verse 3. They complained and complained. Why has the Lord put us in this predicament? Why are we going to all die by the edge of the sword? Our wives and our children are becoming victims. Would it not be better of us to serve the devil in Egypt? Wouldn't it be better to be in an ungodly nation and not a Christian nation? Wouldn't it be better? Listen, Bozo, come here. Let me see how you run your house. Let me see how you run your home. And the issue is that you are henpecked. In English, that means that you don't have any weight of manhood. We, we say that when a man is being very boisterous against authority, it's because at home he has no authority before his wife. He has to be out there in the street yelling and barking like a dog because at home his wife treats him like a mutt. Has no respect, has no honor, but their voices are big on the outside. Verse 4, they were saying, it's better to go die in Egypt. They said to one another, let us select a leader. Let's find someone else to lead this country so that we could get us on the right track back to hell. Let us get another leader so that we could go in the direction of our debauchery, of our depravity, of letting our lust go free in every direction. Verse 5, let us find another leader. Then Moses and Aaron, they threw themselves on the ground on their faces before all the assembly. So even those called to lead had nothing to say. Verse 6, they talked about killing Moses and Joshua, the son of Nun and Caleb, who were among those who had spied the land. They began to tear their clothes. They begin to say, I'm not going to this party. I'm not dressed for this occasion. I, I'm besides myself. We, we went out to California about two years ago. It was a big leadership conference. And they called all the women to the front. All the pastor's wives. He says, okay, we're going to have a panel with the pastor's wives. And the pastor's wife says, you know, it's our turn behind the pulpit. Men have been behind the pulpit too long. Now it's our turn. And I started, I started shaking. I started vibrating. I was like, oh, no. And then George Carrico was, where's George Carrico? George Carrico was right next to me. And he goes, oh, oh. And he turned on his recorder. He says, I'm going to capture this one. And he started filming me. And when they were done and I was educated and civil, I stood up. I said, I want to know who your husbands are. Because you guys are expressing a total disrespect and contempt for being the wives of righteous men. I don't think there's any person in the world that has a better ride in this life than sitting next to a righteous man. He's willing to go fight the battles. He's willing to stand up for God. He will give his life for his family. So I said, I want to know who your husbands are. And all of a sudden, all the husbands started going under the chairs. And George is, is filming. I said, listen, we need someone to stand for God. 
That's what people are calling for. We know people are going to stand for the devil. The children of the devil will always speak like the devil. But there was Joseph and, and Caleb. They started tearing their clothes. They weren't with the program in this regards to go back to Egypt. Did they forget they were slaves in Egypt? Did they forget they were captive? Their wives were raped and pillaged and their children became abused under the weight of the burden of captivity. Verse 7 uh, these two men stood up and they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel saying the land that we just came through to spy out is exceedingly good land. Where, Buddy, where are you headed if you leave this place? Where's that brouhaha moment of your uh, utopia in existence? The, the autonomous zone at Capitol Hill. That's a great place to take your family. You degenerate. You degenerate. A place where there's no order, where there's no substance, no conviction, no accountability. Where you pillage and ruin and, and you sit. I love that. Uh, who's the chief of police at the autonomous zone? Who's the mayor? Who is the guy who's leading these deplorables, these misfits? These people who can't do life like God intended. It's not like there's not an answer. The answer is there in the word of God. And those who live it will see the good of the land. So he spoke, verse 8. got to hurry up. We're finishing. The Lord, if the Lord delights in us. See, the occasion of the atmosphere is the Lord's delight, not yours, knucklehead. I, I promise I wasn't going to say that anymore. Listen. It's not yours. It's not your delight. It's not your comfort. It's not your priority. It's not your pursuit. It's not your values. I, I feel sorry that your dad passed down a twisted state of affairs. He didn't have somebody speaking to his life to be a man of God, in the house of God, with the word of God, amongst the people of God. He doesn't exist. Is he going to be in heaven? In, in earth, he's excluded himself from that expression. He's in every restaurant in Miami, but he can't find himself to come to the house of the Lord to worship the God of heaven. He can't find himself to do that. He's going to be challenged in the character of his effeminate existence. As a coward, he will burn in hell after he's eaten the most choice morsels upon earth and and his only mercy is that somebody would stand before him and say over my dead body i'm not going to allow you to live like if god doesn't exist like if he's not worthy of praise like if he didn't give his life the other day i was trying to sell my boat a guy showed up he says um you're going to believe God more that you haven't seen than me who you have seen? I said, listen, you degenerate. That's not a good way to sell your boat, by the way. But how are you going to tell me that you haven't seen God when he was crucified naked before mankind? How are you going to say you haven't seen that when it marked the, the, the beginning and the after of his birth? It, it marked history. Because Jesus was on the cross. And you're going to tell me you don't know, you don't see, you don't hear. You're going to burn in hell. You're going to rot in hell. These men were standing. They said, if the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us to a land and give it to us. A land which flows with milk and honey. 
People, you've sat there and suffered under the vociferous voice of a passionate preacher. But I want to tell you that God will do it and do it again. In the book of Judges, chapter 7, he says, I don't want 33,000 wimps. I want 300 warriors. I'm not good at percentages, but I don't think that this is even 10%. 10% would be 3,000. But the Lord said, 300 are the men I'm looking for. And so he, he went through a litany of, in Judges chapter 7, verse 1, he went through a litany of tests telling Gideon, you are too many that are going out to the battle. You got to start diminishing the truth because I'm not going to fight with wimps. How many know that? God is not going to take wimps to the battle. He's not going to take men who are poor excuse for a expression of manhood. He wants valiant men. He wants courageous men. He wants men willing to give their lives. Martyrs. Martyrs. You'll be my martyrs. You're going to bleed for my cause. In one occasion, Paul says, listen, you guys are sitting there feeling bad about what I'm telling you to do. But none of you have bled already. None of you have bled for your faith. Imagine being in a camp and they're beating you to the pulp and you're standing strong for the Lord. I want to be filled with that spirit. I want to be filled with that presence to stand before lions and be burned at the stake and not fold. And some of you, oh, the, the chairs are uncomfortable here. Or I don't like how the way they preach. Or, I don't like the music. Listen, you got to be part of something before you die. You have to raise up a flag of some existence. And, and yeah, there is that ideal utopia that's in your brain. And you say, well, there I'll be a man of God. There I'll be good. Listen, here and now, you poor puppy. You poor puppy that you don't see ahead. That if you're not part of anything upon the earth, how are you going to be part of anything in heaven? There in Gideon... <laughs> 32,700 were told to go home. You got better things to do? Go do them. You, you got a better game plan for life? Go. You feel flexible about worshiping God? Go. Those that are holy become more holy. Those that are righteous become more righteous. Those that want to be defiled and comfortable and convenient, it's not going to be convenient in the next world for you or your wife or your children. Deuteronomy chapter 20, we have another expression. When you go out to battle, you're going to face a lot of people. Verse 1, when you go out to battle, I don't know what you're battling now. You might be so comfortable, you're trying, well, you, Pastor, you don't know how overwhelmed I am with life. Look at my head, people. No more hair. I do know, 20 years ago, when you were spitting down the sidewalk, I was raising champions and being a man of God at church. And serving my Lord. And losing my life in this world that I might gain it in the next. Way before you even had one of your little munchkins. We were fighting the battles of the Lord 23 years ago. We said, as for me and my house, we're going to take God serious. I was how old? 30? 30 years old. And taking on the responsibility to champion families for the glory of God. Not many people doing that on the earth. 
But you can look around this place, and I promise you, you're going to find champions. I promise you, you're going to find people with a greater intensity than mine, with the same fire to please God and to live for his glory. We have turned down opportunities left and right because God was first and foremost. Five years ago, Nick tells me, hey, Dad, how come rich people have so much money? Because that's what they're looking for. If you want money, it's out there. All you got to do is bow down and serve Satan. Live for the glory of this world. But if you're going to decide to forsake all to serve the Lord, promise you the great reward is coming. Promise you the good guys win. I challenge you to find one good guy who's lost. You see in the book of Esther, Haman, he decided he was going to finagle and he was going to go against Mordecai and against Israel. He lost. He got hung in his own noose. You conniving as a wicked man, you die, you perish. Psalm 73, my favorite psalm. David says, I almost slipped when I looked at the prosperity of the wicked. When I saw men who weren't serving the Lord, I saw they were buying boats and they were going on vacation. They didn't have to go to church. It's July 4th weekend. Why at church? Because if I'm not here, who's going to be here, buddy? Not for one year, for 22 years. And if we don't have men whose God is greater than all, there's a diminishing effect for the body of Christ. We, we, the Mormons riding their bicycles, the Jehovah Witnesses knocking on doors are false religion. And their righteousness outdoes us who have the true God. Out us who serve the God who's been so faithful to us. When you go out to battle, let's go back to Deuteronomy 20 verse 1. And you see enemies, and you see horses, and you see chariots more numerous than you. God is not about numbers. You're not going with the multitude. More numerous than you. But pastor, there's only a few of us. Yep, there's only a few of us for years. All the other wimps have left. Do not be afraid. For the Lord your God is with you. That's, that's my only hope. Listen. I've looked around for strong men. I was like, okay, who's on our team? Listen, lift up your eyes and watch a giant show up. That's what David did in front of Goliath. He says, listen, you're coming against me, and I know you're heavy, and you're full of arsenal, and you are a champion, but my God is going to rip your head off. You know why? Because the bad guys lose. I don't care what they bring to the battle, they lose. And the good men win. The good men win. They're filled with the Spirit of God. They champion life. They do things like God has called them to do things. Do not be afraid of them, for the Lord your God is with you, who brought you from the land of captivity, from the land of Egypt. Verse 2. Next week we'll have brand new air conditioners. Praise God. They're installing new units next week. It, so it shall be when you're on the verge of battle. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been shot at? Have you ever stayed when you're being shot at? The priest shall approach and speak to the people. Verse 3. Uh, he shall say to them, hear, O Israel, people of God, today you're on the verge of battle with your enemies. Do not let your heart faint. Do not become afraid. Do not tremble. Do not be terrified. How many times does God have to say that? How many times do men say, I was, I was naked and ashamed, so I hid. So people, listen to me. You're a champion. You're at the front lines. You're a champion. You want your children to be a champion. Let them see you at the cutting edge front lines of the battles of the Lord. Why? 
Because the good guys win. The good guys win. Verse 4. For the Lord your God, he goes with you. He will fight for you against your enemies to deliver you. The only salvation that this nation has is if this nation recognizes who are serious, not about Trump, not about Republicans, not even about America's history. Who is strong in the Lord? In the Lord. Who is strong in the power of his might? Not your might, not your weapons. It's glorious to see how the Lord has defended America in every one of its battles. The last days, the problem will be fearful men. Verse 5. The officer shall speak to the people. What man is there who just built a house and you still haven't lived in it? Let him go to his house. Because if not, he's going to die in the battle. And another man will live in his house. Verse 6. What man is there who has planted a vineyard? You're working too hard. You don't have time for God. Man, listen, go and cause your company to grow because you're going to need it the day of your funeral. You're going to need an expensive coffin. You're not going to live out your days. The Bible says that you will be cut off from the land while there's still vigor in your bones. You're not going to enjoy substituting your business for God. A man left our church about 15 years ago. He says, what? You said I was going to die. I said, yeah, we're all going to die. Verse 7, what man is there who is about to get married and has not gotten married yet? Let him go and return to his house lest he die in battle because he's thinking of something else and man, another man marry his fiance. Verse 8, what man is there? Who's fearful and faint-hearted. Who's a wimp and a coward. I've been, you know, for years, Clarita has told me, Pastor, quit preaching these messages. But I can't stop. I can't stop preaching a message. And this message will never change. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Not well done, you lazy piece of existence. You, you have to mark the lines to decide who are valiant. When we came into this church building, ten of the men ran and five stayed. And you're enjoying this building today because there was courageous men willing to think about the future of your children. Amen. While you were fanning your tail off into another existence, another priority. There was men fighting the battles of the Lord in this place. Others were just as wimpy as all these that didn't go into the promised land. They all died under the plague. Verse 9, and so it shall be when the officers have finished speaking to all the wimps that they shall make captains of the armies to lead the people. They shall call men to be at the forefront leading. You were created to lead. You were created to be a champion. Mom, tell me about how dad died for the Lord. Not how he lived as a coward. Mom, my big brother, tell me a little bit of my father and how he was courageous for God. How he stood when other men ran. How he left a legacy while other men were trying to uh, hoard wealth. And so you're to go into that city with these captains and these men. Verse 10, when you go near a city to fight against it, then proclaim a peace officer. And say, listen, buddy, it behooves you to walk with us in the way of the Lord. If not, we rip your head off. That's, that's the only alternative. 
Either you live for God or you die for the devil. Go near the city and ask it and proclaim a peace offering. Verse 11, if they decide, it shall be if they accept your peace offering and open to you, then all the people who are found in it shall be placed under tribute and serve you. Verse 12, now if the city will not make peace with you, but they come against you in war, surround it, verse 13, besiege it, and when the Lord your God, see who's fighting? The Lord, delivers it into your hands, you shall kill. You shall strike every sorry man who did not want to walk in God's delight. Leave the children and the women, let them go, you guys get a, a pass card. But kill every single one of those whips. Diminish them. Execute them. Bring them to naught. Terminate them right on the spot. God, I believe, has the same disposition. He's calling all men to grace. That's why he continues to make a distinction. Psalm 73, you see, I almost slipped. Verse 2, when I had considered... I, my feet almost stumbled and my steps almost slipped. Verse 3, when I was envious of the boastful and saw the prosperity of the wicked. You see some men are living their lives like, look, look how well we're doing. Look how well we're doing. Yeah, you know, I'm going to make me backslide too. I, I want to go and, and act like you. For a moment, David says, until, verse 17, I entered into the house of the Lord and I considered their end. Until I went to the house of God and heard a message like this. How many glad they're here today? Some of you are not. Some of you are not, but the message is not going to change. God is seeking champions. The good guys win. The bad guys lose. Promise you, the bad guys lose. The wimps, the spineless, the cowards, the unrighteous, the boisterous, the unsubmitted, the rebellious. They don't want to take the land of God. I went into the sanctuary, and I understood their end. David, could you please tell us their end? The bad guys lose. Verse 18. Surely you set them in slippery places, and you cast them down to destruction. Who? The wicked who prosper. The wicked who say, I don't need to go to God. I don't need Jesus. I don't need spring of life. I don't need a pastor. I don't need the word of God. Listen, my friend, you're headed for hell. You're headed for torment. You're headed for an existence that even in the Bible, you have two men on the cross. You have the distinction. The good guys win. The guy who said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He says, today you shall be with me in paradise. The other guy, the bad guy, loses. Like, look, he can't even save himself. They're always wimps. They're always finding occasion why to live according to their craziness. And, and you guys read the Bible and you know the distinction of all these examples of God highlighting Hebrews chapter 11, you have the whole story of righteous men who live for God, who put faith out in the forefront. The Bible says they were sawed in half and they still kept their faith. When they went to rebuild Jerusalem, Nehemiah chapter 6, Sambalot and Tobias. They lose. The bad guys lose. They said, oh, you guys are not going to be able to finish. You guys got to pay attention. You don't have permission. Who do you think you are? They always have contention. 
The, the, the wimps and the cowardly and the spineless are always throwing mud in every direction. The only mud they can't take care of is their own heart, their own lives, their own wives, their children. They can't can serve it faithfully at a church. I, I want to say something. If you don't serve faithfully at your church, if you're not known amongst the people of God that are in your fellowship, you don't have any occasion to raise up a flag in any direction, my friend. You're a spineless coward. The people that count on you can't even count on you. You're absent. You always have an excuse to, to, to disrupt your manhood. Uh, let's ask the ushers to come forward. For the Lord's Supper. Listen, um, I know without a doubt that God is looking for men who will fight the battles of the Lord. Uh, I believe that America's birthday has given me an occasion to preach a, a, a sermon like this. Because this land didn't just come into existence by all the wimps that are speaking right now. If, if, if we had those guys who say that they want to fix our nation at the forefront of our battles... We would be speaking Japanese or German. Pray with me. Father, thank you for this table. We celebrate the table of the Lord. The bread that represents your body that was broken on the cross. That we might be united. The cup which represents the blood that was shed on Calvary. For the remission of our sins, the payment, the perfect sacrifice of God for the forgiveness of our sins. We pray that you would bless this bread and bless the cup. And as we partake, we might consider to participate in a manner which is worthy of the one who lost his life that we might find it. Allow us to experience this table today and to be healed and to be restored and to gain strength in our walk to serve you with excellence. We pray that you would bless this table and bless it to our bodies as we partake of this glorious opportunity you've given us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. As the ushers pass out the elements, we'll sing to the Lord. And I know that there's a lot of pep rallies going on all over the place for those who stand for any occasion. You see them downtown. They're all marching. They march through the hills. They march through the country. They don't march for God. They refuse to stand for God. And the Bible says there in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, the whole, the whole chapter leads to this thing of the, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. But it says, behold what manner of love. This is where it starts. Who recognizes the love of God that he bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God? That's the first premise. If you're a child of God, you're not a no-name Maddox. It's not like you haven't been adopted. Now you're in the family. Now comport yourself as you're part of a family. That's where prosperity lies. The, the rebel will dwell in a dry land, but those who understand family and fight for family and stand up for the cause, if you don't fight for family, you pretty much don't have a clear understanding of what God is doing in his house. That we should be called the children of God, therefore the world does not know us. They don't understand this message because they did not understand Jesus when he came. They didn't understand what he was looking for. Verse 2. Beloved, now we are the children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. We're in process. We're in progress. 
but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we will see him as he is. This is a transformation, a continual moving forward in the direction of the disposition of Jesus Christ. Let's sing to the Lord. Colossians 2.15 says that Jesus made a public spectacle of every demon in hell, triumphing over them, the cross. All those demons that are trying to keep you from triumphing as a man upon the earth to champion God, promise you, you're not going to be able to champion family if you don't champion God. You won't be faithful to your wife. You won't live in the fear of God. You won't be a, a blessing to your children. 
He disarmed all the principalities. He took away their weapons and their power and made of them a public spectacle. This is my favorite verse. The devil was just totally defeated and diminished in all his hype and rebellion and pride by a God who had deep commitment for the call of God upon his life and thank God for his valiant disposition of courage. And that's what God is calling the men to today. As we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we're actually celebrating the expressions of his victory on the cross. He did not turn, the Bible says. He set his face like flintstone, like an arrowhead that would finish the journey of the call of his Father in heaven. The Bible says, talking about the Lord's Supper, I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take and eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim what the Lord did on the cross in his death until he returns. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and of the blood of the Lord. But let every man examine himself, and so let him eat the bread and drink the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself because he did not discern the body of the Lord. For this reason, many are weak, many are sick, and many have fallen asleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we judge, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. And if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment. The rest of these things I will set in order when I come. Father, thank you for the bread. Thank you for that which represents your body that was broken so that we might be united with the body of Christ. Lord, we purpose to reconcile and heal and come to the place of wholeness with the body of Christ according to the payment which you have placed at the cross. Bless this bread in Jesus' name. You may participate of the bread. can take away my sin nothing but the blood of Jesus Lord we celebrate this cup the fruit of the vine which represents the blood that was poured out upon the cross for the forgiveness of our sins in a manner that we might participate which is worthy Lord we pray that you forgive us our sins and wash us with the blood of Jesus.
cleanse us so that we might live in a manner that pleases you, that honors you, and that is according to your work upon the cross. Break the yoke of sin over our lives and allow us not to go back in that direction. Thank you for this cup. In Jesus' name we pray and we may all participate of the cup. Let's stand this morning. This week when I was confronted with that men's program on sexual purity, I was asking myself, what would it look like as you prepare your children to go to war? You vest them with all the faculties they need to overcome on the battlefield. And I really believe that we have taught our children how to flee youthful lust and how to understand that they're not to run in the way of destruction. So part of the training that we're giving in this church is the maturity of manhood because only immature people entertain that which destroys them. As the Spirit of God comes upon us, a lot of people don't know what that looks like, but 2 Corinthians 3.18 tells us what it is. We're going from glory to glory into the image of God through His Spirit. What's that mean? We're looking more like Jesus every day. That's, our, that's the roadmap for us. We all, say with me, all, without hypocrisy, we're not hiding our faces, what we're doing behind the scenes, with unveiled faces, we are beholding like a reflection in the mirror the glory of the Lord. We're looking at His glory. And because of that, we are being transformed into that same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Certain men might feel like Peter today after hearing this message. Man, I've, I've denied Jesus three times. I said I would be there for him. I let the devil use me. And they see the frailty of their existence. But after God was through Peter, he says, I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Lord. I want to be crucified upside down. He took a measure of courage that was not natural. It was supernatural. And I believe when the spirit of the Lord is upon us, we're going to walk like God wants men to walk. So, Father, I pray this day that no men here feel condemned, but they might be feel encouraged to walk in the direction of your call upon their lives. That you've called them to be champions. You've called them to be the head of their houses to have the honor of their children, to take the gathering of men of, that are champions amongst your people, that they might sit with the elders when they gather at the gates of the city, that they would meet men of substance, men of influence, men of affluence, men of reference, men of integrity, men of courage, men of faithfulness, that your spirit would be upon us that we might stand in the gap for a nation that's going to hell in a handbasket. In Jesus' name we pray and all the people say amen and amen and amen. God bless you. Greet one another in the love of the Lord.